Shana Tova. The following teaching was taught to me by Dr. Yehuda Kurtzer, president of the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. I want to thank Dr. Kurtzer for this exceptional teaching, which I share in his name. Now, I know it's Rosh Hashanah, but I want to start my sermon with a verse from Yom Kippur. More specifically, Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre begins with the following declaration. By the authority of the court on high, and by the authority of this court below, with divine consent and with the consent of this congregation, we grant permission to pray with those who have transgressed. Anu matirin lehit palel im ha'avaryanim. I want to talk today about what it means to be in community with people who we think are wrong. In this day and age, that feels right to say in a divided community or a divided country, but this isn't just a lens to talk politics. This is also about how we see our community of Temple Isaiah. Who do we think belongs here? In other words, who do we wish belonged elsewhere? We grant permission to pray with the avaryanim. The Hebrew is translated most often as sinners or those who have transgressed, but it also means boundary crossers, those who have stepped, if you will, over the line, those who make it easy for us to talk about an us and for them to be identified as a them, those people. What does it mean to say on the holiest night of the year, we want you to pray with the boundary crossers. What if it's not just saying, those people get to be here? As in, listen, I'll tolerate Goldberg in the eighth row, but I'm certainly not invested in his experience while he's here. But rather, I'm incorporating this person and their sins together with me in the same ritual act of prayer. I want to suggest today that it might mean we have to rethink our definition of community. It might mean we have to reevaluate what we thought of as effective or powerful prayer. So let's go back to this verse. We grant permission to pray with those who have transgressed. Why is this prayer even needed? First, you could say it's very nice and simple to draw shout, you know what, we are all sinners. And the verse is actually only there on Yom Kippur to unify us, not divide us. So let's come together with forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, and let's do this holy work of repentance together. That's nice. That's a little too easy. You could also say, listen, those sinners, they need us holy folks if they ever hope to change their ways. So let's open our doors and give them the unexpected honor of joining us. That's paternalistic. It's also patronizing. It reifies the division of us and them rather than eliminates it. And it's clear that the burden of repentance is on the sinners, as if to say, I'm not sure there's much I need to do today, but for them, oy, for them, I'm happy to share this space because maybe they'll finally do something useful while they're here. But if you want a more provocative reading, consider this, community, requires sinners. And a community of prayer should be constituted of and with people who are sinners. This is not just tolerating sinners. This is actually saying that we are in fact strengthened by them. This is saying we can't achieve our goals without them, without the diversity they bring. 
We can't reach our highest peak without disrupting our love of homogeneity and the value that we have long assigned to alignment and to all agreeing that the best way to pray and the best way to be is when we all agree on how we see the world. Take a look at this text that Yehuda brings in order to build this argument from the book of Exodus. Adonai said to Moshe, to Moses, take the herbs stacked, anica, and galbanum. These herbs together, along with pure frankincense, bring them, let there be an equal part of each, and make them into the incense, a compound expertly blended, refined, pure, and sacred, to lift up to me as an offering. Quick definition, since none of that included things we remember today. Stacked was an unspecified gum resin. Annika, they think, might have been a vegetable resin or possibly seashell parts. And galbanum, also described as a gum resin, is derived, they say, from a Persian plant. But take note, galbanum is described as disagreeable, with a bitter taste, and a peculiar, somewhat musky odor. Mix these three together with frankincense, a sweeter smelling resin, and you get your incense offering to burn before God. Do you remember the Sesame Street song? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Well, one of these ingredients does not smell like the others. It smells terrible. Dare I say, it is offensive. And nevertheless, it is included. So the rabbis take note and draw some interesting conclusions. From the Talmud, canonized in the 5th century CE, we read, any fast that does not include the sinners of Israel is not a true fast. And what is the proof? Behold, galbanum. It has a foul smell, and yet the scripture counts it among the ingredients of incense. Rashi, an 11th century commentator, adds, what is this thing called chelbna? Because the Hebrew word isn't exactly clear, so it has to be classified. Chelbna, according to Rashi, is the malodorous spice, which is called galbanum. Scripture talks about it among the spices of the incense in order to teach us that it is hard work to associate ourselves with the sinners, with the transgressors. But nevertheless, they are counted as if they are one of us. Just as the bad-smelling spice is required for the offering to God to be successful, to be kosher, so too are sinners required for us to complete a successful communal fast. This is part of why we can suggest today we might need to rethink or revisit our expectations of community and of congregation and ultimately of what God wants from us. The instinct of community is to be, for lack of a better term, good-smelling. For example, if we pride ourselves on having great singers in temple, hello, Hasharim, what we believe will help us reach higher spiritual levels is when our music is exceptional. So what do we do with the congregant who sings off-key? We tend to think of the commodity of religious performance as the sensory experience. We believe the best possible outcome is when it all sounds and smells great. And moreover, we've decided that the opposite of that, the off-key singer, the errant to smell, ruins the experience. What if we're wrong? What if the experience of community and of communal prayer is meant to be a little bit bad-smelling and a little bit off-key? What if it's meant to be with sinners? 
rather than the paternalistic approach of saying, come here, dear sinner, join my community, do your best to catch up, we might want to consider if praying with sinners places a religious demand upon us, the allegedly pure of heart. The person who sits next to me, who offends me with their smell or their voice, they are the sinner amongst us. They are the transgressor that our ancient community was trying to talk about. And rather than saying they should go elsewhere, what if the burden is on us to figure out how to construct religious community with people with whom we don't agree, with whom we don't feel connected to, with whom we do not feel aligned? These sinners who we consider to be other, they not only shape what we must learn to see as community, but they shape our experience within it. They provide us with a way to reach higher and ascend beyond what we thought was possible. But we will miss that chance if we are focused on us versus them, on their sins and their responsibilities, on the fact that we simply lease them space in our community for the night. There's one more text that Yehuda brought, which I think, again, I'm looking around at our age group at the moment. It's mostly an appropriate age group to say the following. There is a story that involves a janitor for prostitutes, and it is found within the Jerusalem Talmud. And it really challenges us to talk about the richness of how the community is when we allow everyone in. So here is the story from our tradition. A rabbi, it came to him in a dream. The rabbi dreamed that a, by the Greek name Pantococcus, which essentially translates as a totally evil person, that that person who is totally evil will be the one to pray for rain so that the rain will come down in its proper season. So Rabbi Abahu seeks out this person because he's totally befuddled. And he says to the person, what's your job that you are the one who allegedly will cause the rain to fall in its season? And I, the rabbi, with years of experience, will be unable to do so. And the man says, here's my job. Essentially, I work for the prostitutes, and every day I sweep out their theater, I give them employment, I help them get their jobs, I carry their clothing, I draw their baths, I clap and dance before them, and I clash cymbals to allow for great joy to be heard. So Rabbi Abahu says, this is, this is crazy. I can't believe this is the guy who gets to bring the rain down. So he says, all right, let me think a bit about it differently. What is one good deed amidst all of the sinning that you've just listed for me? What's one good deed you've done? And the man says, well, one day I was sweeping out the theater and a certain woman entered. And she stood behind a column waiting to be hired and she broke into tears. And so I said to her, what is the matter? And she said, my husband is incarcerated and I want to see what I can do to free him. And at that moment, the man, this janitor, tells the rabbi, and so I sold my bed, I sold my bedding, and I gave her the money. And I said, use this to free your husband and do not do this work anymore. So Rabbi Abahu says, in fact, you are worthy to pray. You are more worthy than I am to be answered. Now, it's a good story to share because what it reminds us is that no one is completely evil. Even the janitor for prostitutes who admits he sins every day is able to do some good. We allow the sinners in our community to come with us on Yom Kippur and on every day of the year, perhaps to remind us no one is fully imperfect. 
No one is completely evil. Good and bad are negotiated all the time in community. And those who are wholly good, those of us who pat ourselves on the back for being the upstanding citizens, sometimes we cannot see the complexity of what it means to make good choices in the thick of this world. Quite simply, we are limited in what we can understand and about the choices that are made every day. Sinners help to flesh out the moral universe of religious community by giving us vision and access to how religious sincerity can be accessed. In other words, how do we do good when we're not in the throes of an easy world? How do we do good when we are in tough places? Praying with sinners helps us expand our vision of what repentance and redemptive acts of holiness can actually look like. And while this year we may find ourselves on the side of the holy ones, next year might look different. And should we reach that other side, it may be helpful to know that there are ways to navigate and negotiate those spaces with the hope of communal redemption. You might have thought Yom Kippur and this season of renewal was about individuals. The refrain is familiar. Each of us should be reconnecting with those that we have individually hurt and we should seek apology. But the origin was a drive for communal redemption with an ancient practice of sending a goat out into the wilderness bearing the sins of the community, a collective act of purification. So perhaps it's time to pivot our focus away from the individual and look instead at the community. Rather than expunge the sinners in hopes of reaching greater alignment, we need to look at the collective and own the limitations of who we are the good and the bad and the bad smelling, the off-key singers and the offensive ringers. This is our motley crew with whom we are bound together as we cross the wilderness. And I use that metaphor purposefully, the wilderness, because again, the Torah has something to teach us. Coming out of Egypt, the homogenous groups of slaves was accompanied by a group of people referred to as hasafsuf, literally translated, the riffraff. Rabbinic commentators over the centuries have decided that those must have been the Egyptians, perhaps unhappy living under Pharaoh's rule, who chose to be liberated along with our ancestors. But, say the rabbis, they were trouble. The riffraff are blamed for starting a riot in Numbers chapter 11, convincing the Israelites that life was better back in Egypt and lobbying Moses to change course and return home. And the golden calf, blame it on the riffraff. Ultimately, they are the convenient excuse for why things go wrong for an ostensibly flawless community. But we are not flawless. And an honest reflection of our own limitations may only be revealed if we allow our community to be an honest re representation of who we are. We thought the goal of spiritual practice was comfort and perfection. What if we were wrong? What if the strongest practice passed down from our ancestors is a practice that breeds discomfort, a practice rooted in agitation. Ugh. Or maybe, hmm, maybe we've got something to think about in the new year. Where do we tend to grow more spiritually and emotionally, from places of comfort or from places of discomfort? When have we felt a sense of greater reward when a task comes easily or when it takes effort, involves a fear of failure, but ultimately we reach a new plateau? We have two stories that can be told about this year and about the politically divisive age in which we live. 
The first is that we dig further into our holes, enjoy our echo chambers, shame or patronize, or both, the people with whom we disagree, and hope they find another community to join. And then the lesson that we will teach and model for our children is fit in or be kicked out. Or the second story is that we dig further into our tradition and sacred texts. We accept that being part of a community means we may not always agree, but we are willing to listen, learn, and ultimately pray together. And if we do this, then the lesson we teach and model for our children is one of communal salvation. We reach a higher level because of everyone in this room, not in spite of. Temple Isaiah is in the business of communal salvation. So join us this year as we discover our purpose anew. Let us do it with strength, with patience, with endurance and perseverance. Let us do it together. Shana Tovah.